Hey everyone, this is Corinne Lafont, your favorite radio host, your only radio host and favorite girl, of course, broadcasting to you from the lovely island of Trinidad and Tobago in the Caribbean on Between the Lines. And you know how we do it here on Between the Lines. We are always starting our show off with gratitude, or some people might say thankfulness. So I want to say how thankful I am to be here above ground today. Every day I am so elated that I can wake up to another day, to new mercies, to see the beauty of the world, to still have my faculties intact. I think they're intact, yeah? And everything is working as it should. So I am extremely grateful. I'm also grateful to be able to do my show and have wonderful, handsome guests like you're seeing on the side of me. Yes, Marvin Williams, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, but before I do, let me tell you what we're talking about. We're talking about adversity and success. And you may wonder if the two things go together. Yes, it does. And you will hear why from this gentleman on my right or left. I always get confused with these things. I don't know where to point. Is it the right one? Yeah. So <laughs> let me tell you a bit about Marvin. Let me grab his quick short bio here. So Marvin Williams is a first time author. He's graduated from Warner Pacifist, I hope I said that correctly, University yeah. in Portland, Oregon. He's a member of Fathers and Men of Professional Basketball Players and he currently lives in Charlotte. Is that North Carolina, Marvin? Yes it is. Is that North Carolina? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. wonderful, so I said it I said it right. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I said it right. So welcome officially to Between the Lines. It's great to have you. It's great to have you. So today we're going to be talking about adversity. Say that again. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Of course. Of course. It's great to have you. So we are doing this live. So people are going to be watching this on Facebook, YouTube, where else? Twitch, yes. And they're going to be seeing it on LinkedIn and other social media networks. So it's gonna be going out there. And of course, Marvin is going to do his own promotions for you guys to see in North Carolina and the rest of the states and the world. He's just gonna do his thing. So Marvin, what I noticed about your bio, and I looked up your book, I'm going to feature your book a little bit later down in the episode about Secondary Break. That's the, the, the title of this book. But you're a former basketball player in the NBA. How did you manage to get into that? Let's start with that first, and then we'll kind of backtrack. Okay. Uh, the the, the Martin that's the former NBA basketball player is my son. So I, uh, a lot of people get us confused. I played, I started playing when at, an early, at an early age and uh, I did a lot of trials while I was going through uh, college and high school. And then I tried out for the pros. And after I didn't make it to the pros, I started coaching Marvin. And so Marvin, uh, the Marvin that you probably talking of is my son who's, who's currently retired. Oh, oh, that's how it goes. So we need to get that Marvin on my show and kick you out. We need to kick you out and bring... <laughs> we need to kick you out 
gonna bring that Marvin on. That's the one we're interested in. <laughs> so we're talking about your well, congratulations to him, by the way, because I I don't know much about basketball. I mean, I just as a woman, I'll tell you honestly, I just look at how fine the guys look, really. I just look okay. at that, and I think that's what most women do. They just look at how fine they look. We don't know nothing about the game. There are some who are passionate, but like me, I just watch how fine they look. That's all I'm interested in, okay? I'm being honest. Okay, that's so, okay. <laughs> yeah, so you spoke about, or you shared with me about coming from an abusive relationship um with your i i guess your family i want you to be able to share that because the thing about between the lines this show is to really empower persons to be inspired and to know that there is hope yep. to know that they can overcome adversity and that their story is not unique while you may feel at the time that you're going through hell and you're not getting out there is hope because other persons have been through it and they're still breathing today and not only breathing they're thriving they're actually living life the way they deserve and the way they should be living so we're going to be talking about healing we're going to be talking about your your past so let's let's start from that share a bit about that and i noticed I'm going to tell you honestly, because this is an honest show. I'm an honest person. I noticed that one of the reviews when I looked up your book on Amazon, because persons are going to check your book and they are going to see the same reviews. One of the first reviews, and I'm sure you would have known, somebody was not very kind to you. It was one of the top reviews and they really did a bit of hating on you. And my suspicion, my suspicion is that it was a relative of yours because you would have spoken about them in the book and they did not take too kindly to the things that you shared um exposing family is not something people really like they're not going to agree with it so i suspected it's, it's a relative of yours and i saw you nodding so it tells me that i am on point yeah. but besides that because that that is going to happen that's natural and i don't want anyone who may feel to write their own story because there's a story in everyone. I don't want anybody to be put off by that, to feel, oh, their family is going to hate them. They're going to have family that wouldn't talk to them. That just comes with the territory of talking out an issue that you feel has affected you and you have a right to speak about it. However, being very uh, how shall I say, careful in managing and balancing how it would impact others by not mentioning their real names, etc., etc. So I want you to go back to that, to your past, and share how you transition from uh, an abusive uh, situation or whatever adversity you were going through and how you were able to heal and become successful today. Well, uh, yeah. To address, the, uh, to address the, uh, the bad rating on my book, uh, it was one of my cousins who wasn't even born during the time that I was going through the issues, and she wasn't even familiar because, she, like I said, she wasn't born what was going on in, uh, in my life at that time. So I just take that with a grain of salt, and I think everybody got to like their opinion. 
Um, yeah, I grew up in a, um, I had a mother and father who I, who I loved very dearly. Uh, they were great people, but I, I think they had their own personal issues with alcohol. And uh, during that time, I grew up in New York. I lived in New York till I was about 13 years old. And during that time, my mom and dad would fuss and fight all the time and have major issues in the family. Um, so then we moved from New York. You know, at the time in New York, uh, back in the 1970, 72, you know, we had the Black Panthers. Uh, you had a lot of, lot of um, unrest with black people in New York during that time. And we had the Black Panthers who would uh, step in and uh, be like our community ethic. And so I, I grew up under uh, Black Panthers and, and their community service work. They did a lot of great stuff for us. I think I think sometimes America, the American government here speaks bad about them, but they really don't understand what great things they've done for the black community. So I grew up in a time where there was racial unrest in the United States, especially in, in New York, where you had, uh, you, had, you had Martin King, Malcolm X, um, Muhammad Ali, and all those guys. And those guys were our black leaders. And so as I grew up in New York, we got along with everybody basically in New York because we were a big melting pot. But then after, uh, when I turned about 13, my mom and dad moved us to North Carolina because uh, my granddad had died, my mother's dad had, had died. So I moved to North Carolina and lived with my grandma. And during that time, my mom, still had, my mom and dad still had their own issues, you know, drinking and separation and things like that. My dad stayed in New York. My mom, she came home and we stayed down there because her dad died. And uh, she didn't want to take us back to New York. But during that time when I moved to North Carolina, this was probably 72, there was a whole lot of racial issues going on in the South. So when we moved from a mecca city like New York to North Carolina, as a kid, I had to learn to adjust to the racism about, you know, the white people. But thankfully, what I had learned to do was when I was right before I left New York, I, learned, I had a friend of mine teach me how to play basketball. And so I fell in love with the game of basketball. And so I used basketball as a way of escaping from maybe my family life and, and things that was going on at home. I, I, when we moved to North Carolina, I kept on playing basketball and, you know, dealing with all the issues that was going on. You know, my grandmother, she was doing the best she could with, um, with everybody that was living in the house with her. And, you know, going out, we used to crop tobacco. Crop tobacco, I crop tobacco as a kid from probably when I was 13 to about 17 or 18. And uh, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if anybody knows what crop tobacco is like, but it's almost like being on a plantation of slavery. Uh, back then in 1972, all the people that owned tobacco were the white people. And uh, the black kids were basically put out there to work all day from maybe 5.30 in the morning to 8 or 9 o'clock at night, cropping tobacco. And then you would put it in the barn and get up and do it every day to, um, for the whole summer. And so during those times, during the summer, when I wasn't cropping tobacco, I would go to the local park and play basketball. And then I ended up making friends with some, uh, some really good people. Uh, I started, uh, I live in a town called Wallace, which is about 45 minutes um, from a big city called Wilmington. And so Wilmington, uh, I ended up making friends with a guy named Tony Gaddison, who ended up going and playing in the NBA for about 16 years. And then I also became friends with Michael Jordan and Larry Jordan and uh, Clyde Simmons. Clyde Simmons ended up, his future ended up being playing in the NFL for, I think, about 10 years. So those guys were my friends, and those guys got me through those rough times. Whenever I wasn't proper tobacco and dealing with racial issues, I would go to the park and those guys would, would drive 
drive from one to ten to my hometown and we would play. And so I grew up under that environment, you know, things weren't as great as we wanted them to be. And, and so we was living with my grandmother, so I finally figured out a way. I, I was talking tobacco for this uh this black sheriff friend of ours. He had a house that he wanted to uh rent out. And so I wanted to get my mom out of my grandma's house so she could feel like, you know, she has her own stuff. And so I worked a deal out with him so that I could uh, get that house. He eventually, I caught tobacco for him all summer, and he eventually let us live in that house. And we lived in that house um, for many years. And so I actually, pretty close to um, probably about five years before I graduated from high school. Uh, I had a high school coach, uh, Bill Clay Jones, who was really, really wonderful. He seen the struggles and stuff that me, my brother, and my family was going through. So he was always encouraging. He was always he encouraged me to continue playing basketball and kept telling me I could get into college. And so that's what I believed, and that's what I started focusing my energy on, was being really good at basketball and uh, trying to get into college. And then after I graduated, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go to college or not. So I kind of hung around home after my mom. We had got my mom that new place. I kind of hung around home, and my dad and my mom they're going through their, their stuff um, with their alcohol, fighting and stuff like that. And so my dad told me I had to go do something with myself, but I get a job or go to work. I mean, go to work or, you know, go to college. And so I didn't really want to go to college, but I like playing basketball. So one day I was out playing basketball in the park, and a friend of mine told me, hey, man, you know, you can get paid and go in the military and play basketball. I said, I said, really? He said, yeah. So I, re- I looked, I did some research into it. And I found out that I could do it. So what I did was I moved to New York after I graduated from high school. And I stayed in New York for about a year. And then I found myself getting some trouble in New York. And my dad and mom came and got me. And then uh, me and my dad had some issues. So I just said, I'm going to go join the military. And so I didn't even tell them I joined the military until the day I was supposed to leave. And so I joined the military. I told my dad, I told my dad to take me down to the bus station. And he asked for what? And I explained to my gentleman, United States Navy, and uh, he was upset about it. But it was an opportunity again for me to play basketball. So I took I, I left to take advantage of that. But I didn't want to I didn't want to stay in my hometown because I, I, I just thought there was more to life than just living in that small town. So I ended up joining the military and uh got on a ship. They found out I could play basketball, and I was really good at basketball, so they formed a ship, a navy ship team. I, um, we traveled every time we pulled into a port. We would get local, local um, good teams and play against those guys. And uh, did that for about three years. And then the Navy decided I was really good, so they took me off the ship and made me like an ambassador for basketball for the United States Navy. So I did that for about a year. And then I got out early. They let me out early because I got basketball offers. So I ended up, Arizona State wanted me to play for them, but I, at that time I had my son. And uh, I didn't, I, his mom didn't want to move to Arizona, so I ended up moving back to her hometown and staying with her and, and doing a college and playing ball there. I played two years at a community college, had great success. Then I went on to a higher level, which is a Division one school. Played two years there, did a really well there. And then I started trying out for coaching. And I uh, did that for a few years. And after that, I kind of got tired of it, and I started coaching girls basketball with my girlfriend at the time. But during that time when I was trying out for teams, and I would get, it was, it was like I would get close. And what I call close is you got 80 guys coming in the trial for three spots. And out of the 80 guys, they pick the best team, and that's the all-star team. And out of those 10, they pick three players. 
And so I made the last the last team that I tried for this is John Lucas team. Uh, he used to be a former NBA basketball player. He had a drug rehab program that he invited me to come try out for. So guys basically were in the NBA and they they uh, got busted for drugs on in the NBA. They were sitting the NBA was sitting to John and John would get them get them get their life back on track. And then through basketball. So they he, he set up a basketball team and travel all over the world. And I was trying out for that team. And I had made the cut. I got it down to 10. I made the cut to three. And then they invited me to go to the next level. But then that night at the hotel, John got a call that the NBA had a play that they wanted to, um, they wanted to go in the program. And because I wasn't part of the alcohol um, rehab program, that played my position. So they told me that I couldn't, they cut me basically. And I was probably 26 then. And so I just got tired of doing it, got discouraged. Uh, so I quit trying out. I quit playing, started drinking heavily. Uh, then I wasn't getting responsible for it, couldn't tell my kid like I supposed to. And so I finally did that for a year, got out of that, out of that mess, out of that phone, and decided I'm a, uh, my girlfriend said, look, she said, there's other things you can do with basketball, you can coach basketball. So, you know, I, I told her, I go to apply for a coaching job at this college, so I, a high school. So I went there with her and started coaching. I fell in love with coaching. And I coached girls basketball for about five or six years. And I had some girls that went on to Division One schools, some high-level young ladies that went on to do very well in the basketball career. And so then I went and started coaching my son. And from there, I started coaching him one-on-one. And he ended up being uh, one of the top players in, in uh, high school basketball in the country. And then went on to go to college at the University of North Carolina, where he won a national championship. And after that, he uh, ended up number two pick in 2005 in the draft. And so for, for, the, for the last 15 years, I've been basically misguided his career. Awesome. Awesome. I'm hearing so much history. I'm hearing all what was going on at the time where you live, your house, your family, the, the opportunity that came to you that you took when you realized what was going on with you that give you an out to become the person that you are today. Now, there are a lot of persons who are going through a number of different stuff. To list it, it will be endless. But right. people are carrying a lot of trauma from their families, from within themselves, things that they don't even, they're not even aware of, Marvin. Right. And it's, I think COVID and the pandemic, because of the isolation, has brought up those latent issues in them that they have to deal with it now. Right. Um, because of what you went through, could you share three tips? Three tips, I like to use three. Three tips based on your own history, based on your own struggles, dysfunctional family. Because I think we all come from a dysfunctional family. It's just masked in different ways. You know, we all come from a dysfunctional family. If anybody thinks that their family is perfect, I'm so sorry for you, they're not. <laughs> but they are dysfunctional in one way or another. But some are just more dysfunctional than others. So you yeah. came from a dysfunctional family, abusive as well. And basketball was your, was your light at the end of the tunnel. What are three things you would share with somebody listening right now to help them go through what they are going through, to give them hope? What are three tips that you can share? The, um Okay, one of the things I was really seeing from the family 
people, uh, like you said, people have problems with the family. And when you have family issues, and you have, you should also have dreams. Every day you should wake up having dreams. And I think the first one would be, if you're having trouble with your family, try to turn the negative into a positive. Just because you're having, your family's having trouble don't mean you're stuck in that life. And I think, I think people need to stop thinking, so this is how my life is right now. This is how it's always going to be. And I always tell people, dream bigger than that. But the first thing I would say is don't let your environment dictate who you become. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing I believe that if you have a dream, don't let nobody discourage you. Because I've been told I, I've been told a whole lot of things over the years that I was crazy. I was chasing a pipe dream. I would never succeed. And, and and those are the people you want to stay away from. And if you believe in yourself that you can do something different, and you think you can do something, then by, through God, believing in yourself and believing in God, He'll take you to where you need to be. Uh, and the third thing I would say is never forget where you come from. I think that's very important because you realize how much I, God has been in your life. Because it took me, it took me this long. To, I've always known God was in my life because I've always been a steadfast believer in God. But it took me when I wrote that book, I had to sit down and think about the blessings that I have. I think too many people sit around and they think about what they don't have and, and, and get caught or get stuck in that and, and, and think that's what they like this and it's not. So I, I think always believe in yourself and believe in God. It's not to take you through any tough thing you got. What made you, you decide to become a first-time author, to write a book? A lot of persons are fearful of taking that step of putting pen to paper or fingers to keyboard and actually telling their story because I believe, as I said earlier, everybody has a story to share and you are not, your responsibility as someone is to tell that story because it could impact one life. It may not impact millions or thousands, but one. And that one will touch another one and another one. So what gave you the impetus to share your story and to disrupt your family who are leaving bad reviews on Amazon? <laughs> I um, I think the first thing, first thing I, you know, years ago, my uh, my son passed, and I was living in a, a little city called Brimpton, Washington. Years ago, he told me that he had he thought I had a book in me, but I, I you know, I like the most most people. I'm like, nah, I don't think so. I mean, I don't really have nothing to tell, and so I kind of put it off. And then one day, I was sitting on my back porch, looking around at my nice house. Um, thinking about my son and think about all the things that I have. And then I thought about my mom and dad and I asked myself, what would they think of me now? Um, so I got to thinking about the struggle from where I came. Uh, and a lot of it, a lot of it, my journey, I felt like I was doing it alone because my mom and dad didn't have no financial, you know, they didn't have the finance to help me do things to go out and complete my dream like I wanted to. And then I was, on, I was in the military. I was going away from home for about six, seven years at a time. So I've always felt like I was alone, but I wasn't. And I had to realize that when I was sitting on the porch that God was always with me. And so I started writing a journal. I wasn't even writing it just to write the book. I was writing it just to get some things off my chest and my heart for myself. But then I also later, you know, I, I gave it to a friend of mine who's a, who's a uh, runs a publishing company. And she told me, hey, man, you got a story here. You ought to write this to a book. And so I thought about it. And I said, well, if I, my goal is if I write this book, 
I'm writing this book so that I can inspire young people or anybody. Because I know from once I came, if I can do it, anybody can be successful. I mean, I, I mean, I don't success can be defined in many different terms. Some people say, oh, you're a billionaire, you're successful. Some people say you live off a hundred thousand dollars a year, you come from um nothing, you're successful. So my goal was just to inspire, hope that somebody will read the book and be inspired by it and say, Man, look at this, this look this guy, look what he went through. If he can do it, I know I can do it too. That was my ultimate goal at the end of writing the book. Yeah, yeah. You know, you said something significant there that moved me. Um, you were sitting and reflecting, and you wondered what would your parents think of you? You're at your house, you know, you think of your son. What brings us to that moment, Marvin? What brings us to that moment of reflection? You know, if you, I don't know your age right now, but I can I can ask you this: If you were to think back, that is not something that would come to you in your twenties or your thirties. You know, you sit down in your porch, you're drinking a cup of tea or something. Why is it that we have that moment? What brings us to that moment where we start to really reflect and think? Where are we going? What would my parents think of me? What do I think of myself? What am I leaving this earth with? You know, what, what brings us to that point? I think the first thing is maturity. Uh, that would be the key thing, maturity, where you could sit back. Because some people don't like to inner reflect because they may be ashamed of what they've done in the past or they may be ashamed of what they might do or what they thought. I think... The big thing is maturity. And for me, I think it was uh, just being able to grow. I think I had to I had to keep telling myself every day when I wake up, I want to be better every day. I don't want to be I could be one of those dads that sit back and say, yeah, my son's a multimillionaire. I don't have to do nothing anymore. And this is how I'm going to live the rest of my life. But I still have my own personal dreams, you know. So and I, and I also, also wanted even though my parents aren't here, I know they're watching me. So I always try to do something every day to improve myself. And, uh, and I think when it comes to reflection, people got to be, they should reflect. You shouldn't, you shouldn't wait till I'm 56. You shouldn't wait till you're 56 to do that. You shouldn't wait till you're 56 to do that. I think you should start when you're in your late 20s and 30s. But I think you should also do it every day as a person to grow. And uh, that keeps you moving forward in life. Yeah. Yeah. At 20 and 30, we, you know, like you said, we should be doing it. I, I know that I have at moments, I can't tell you the exact moments where I said there must be better than this. You know, it may come to you, but I think when you reach a certain point, like a certain age, I don't know what that point is or age is for people that you just have a moment, a come to Jesus moment <laughs> where you just, where you just, everything, yeah, like everything just stops. You're, you're, you're in a sort of meditative mode without even realizing it. And it's like, where am I? Where am I going? You know, mm -hmm. am I, what's my purpose? What am I gonna do? You know, wh what? <laughs> you know, a come to Jesus moment when you might have been hopping and skipping and flirting and doing all sorts of things before, you're realizing that you got to slow down. You, you realize all the things that you were running down before really doesn't matter. 
It really well, doesn't matter. Where are we heading? Where are, we, where are you going forward? Yeah, I, I, I like that, you know, maturity. Yeah. But I could tell you honestly, I'm not seeing that level of maturity, Marvin, in a lot of people these days. I don't know why. I don't know why, but something is happening where I'm not seeing that level of maturity. I was brought up to believe that as you, you know, age brings wisdom, but somehow right. it's not bringing the kind of wisdom that I would like to see in people. It's not bringing the kind of wisdom. There's still people in their 50s and 60s are still behaving like they're in their 20s. And I'm like, what's going on here? What's going on here? Well, I think a lot of, I think a lot of that has to do with I, I do believe the first element of that is we are having young kids today who are having kids. And so they don't have a clear sense of who they are because they're too young to understand. Nobody's taught them how to set goals and to be ambitious and to uh, figure out why you're on this earth to, to do the most while you're here. And they're never taught that. So with them not being taught that, they can't pass it along to their child or their daughter and so their, their child and their daughter go through life, just like you said, they 40, 50, and still think they're in their 20s. And I, and I think the thing we have to do as, as, as parents is go back to the, to the times where we had grandmothers and, and, and grandfathers instilling value in us and instilling ambition in us to, okay, hey, this is my life, but I know you can do better. I want to see you do better. And teach them the values of setting goals and, and continue to improve themselves. Because even God wanted you, if you read the Bible, God wanted you to always get that. Yeah. We have to go back to basics. And, and I come back again to COVID-19. And it really, to me, it brought people back to basics. Mm -hmm. Loving on people, being more compassionate, back mm -hmm. to the basic hygiene that you learn at home and in school. Just back to basics, slowing down, yeah. stop running down the materialistic things. Some people yeah. still haven't gotten it yet, Marvin, but yeah. hopefully in time, people will learn to just slow down, recognize the roses, smell it, smile yeah. at people, <laughs> you yeah. know, have love in your heart. Exactly. Just slow down so it will, you will have the time to take in, take in the things that really matter, as opposed to just running past it and you're not even recognizing. You're no. not seeing your own purpose in the ecosystem. You're not seeing it because you're just running, running, running. Yeah. Oh my word, oh my yeah. word. I wanna yeah. share now, I wanna see if I can share now your book on Amazon so persons can grab a copy. Let me see if I can okay. do that. Are you seeing that on the screen? Oh yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So this is secondary break. Is it a second chance? I don't know. Your second break, but you can have multiple chances. Yeah. So secondary break, an NBA dad story. So I see here that persons can get the both versions, both format, Kindle and paperback. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And of course, you can buy it for someone else as a gift. And uh, yeah, you can buy it for someone else as a gift. This is my page at Train Up here. So if I yeah. wanted to buy it, I can do that. And I guess other persons can do the same. And you see a nice little uh, blurb here about what the book is about. And of course, there are reviews, 23 ratings, which is where I saw uh, the review by the relative. But generally, if persons go down, 
you would see people are actually saying positive things. Everything that I've read here so far has been positive. Thank All you. the reviews, except for this one review, and <laughs> I suspected that it came from a relative. <laughs> from a relative. From the time I read it, I I, I just knew. I just knew. So, yeah. Yeah. so I just want to. Yeah. I just wanted to showcase your book there and you know persons persons not a problem at all persons are going to in family they don't want to bring things out and i'm saying to myself if you keep shoving things under the carpet under the rug how do you expect to heal how do you expect your family to, to bond how do you expect um to release those demons let's call it that from passing on from generation to generation if you keep right. it under the rug and feed it there right. it is going to continue generational curses demons spirits whatever it is it just keeps going on you have to put a stop to it and the only way is to talk it out get right. it out but you did this for you marvin you Absolutely. did this for you but yeah. in but in doing it for you, you are able to touch the lives of many others. I thank you for that. I thank you for that. Any final words before we go? Now, I want to thank you so very much for the time. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. You're welcome.